0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest in our In Conversation With podcast, where I talk to leading figures in community pharmacy. My name is Richard Thomas and this week my guest is Mark Lyonet, Chief Executive of the NPA. Mark joined the NPA in June 2018 from the Association of British Credit Unions. It was a challenging time for pharmacy. The funding cuts were beginning to bite. And just three months into the job, the Court of Appeal rejected appeals by both the NPA and PSNC against the government's original decision to slash pharmacy funding in 2016. It was a challenging time for the Trade Association too, which had gone for several years without a permanent chief executive and had what seemed like a revolving door policy for the top job even before that. Well, Mark has steadied the ship and is now one of the more high-profile professional leaders in pharmacy, with plenty of things to say about what's going on. Earlier this week, I caught up with Mark for a very wide-ranging discussion, which covered topics such as pharmacy's continuing fight for proper recognition and its ongoing funding struggles, both severely exacerbated by the Covid crisis. We talked about the public perception of pharmacy, workplace pressures, pharmacy's relationship with NHS England, and the importance of rebuilding trust between ministers, officials and sector representatives. And, yes, why the government is still getting it badly wrong over funding. We also discussed how he thinks the MPA has performed in this difficult year. Mark was very generous with his time talking to me, which I really appreciated, and this is what he had to say. So thanks Mark uh, for joining us on the pod. Um, Let's start with Covid. Now you said uh, you were going to provide uh, a hard-hitting response on behalf of the MPA to the the Joint Parliamentary Select Committee inquiry that's ongoing at the moment uh, looking at lessons learnt from the coronavirus crisis. So what are you going to tell MPs?
1: Well thank you Richard for uh, inviting me here today and it's really good just to be catching up with you there then and you you realize one of the things that uh, we all miss in uh, in in these difficult times is just that ability to have a chat and catch up we don't do it as well as we used to so and thank you for inviting me onto the podcast really appreciate that i've been listening to one or two of these as you've gone through uh so yes the the government's running an inquiry and you know we we're going to use that as an opportunity i think um to To help promote the sector and and all that the sector has done through COVID, um, I suppose the fundamental reason for us wanting to do that is that in in many ways it feels like the the impact of community pharmacy and the work of community pharmacy over the pandemic has been overlooked and that's particularly ironic, I would say, it's a bitter irony, perhaps, that the sector has been overlooked at a time when it has demonstrated huge resilience of the network, the ability to adapt, the ability to keep going, the ability to keep opening the doors, um, you know, to be very much on the front line of the NHS and we we were delighted recently when we um you know after years of pushing we got the secretary of state Matt Hancock to actually use that phrase in a in an LBC interview and you know that talk listening to members they have most definitely been on the front line during the the first 6 months of the pandemic or however long we we've, we've been going now so the sector's been overlooked we we're, we're asking um How is it being overlooked and why? Most importantly, trying to understand why. You'll remember, Richard, and I know you and colleagues have reported on many parts of this, but at so many points during the early part of the crisis, community pharmacy just wasn't in the picture. Um, Whether it was discussions over key worker status, could you get supermarket slots, the later on the death in benefit scheme here in in england now as i say some of these issues were happening in all four countries others were just happening in england um, and, and and not elsewhere and every single time these things happened the mpa and other pharmacy bodies were had to push officials or push ministers and write to ministers speak to ministers to kind of have the sector recognised as frontline healthcare workers. And, you know, for me, coming as a newcomer to pharmacy, that's that's really strange to see. Um, so you and you might say, well, isn't that what the MPA's for mark? Isn't that, you know, isn't that part of the uh, the purpose? And it is. I mean, the MPA is here to represent our members, whether they're small independents, medium-sized groups, or even large independents. Groups, but we would much rather use our resources, which inevitably are always limited, to provide better services than to have to remind people in government or the NHS what the what the sector is doing and and why they need to be considered as as every much as part of the healthcare system as as the next person. Um, So it's, and of course, alongside all of that is the whole funding issues, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, And I suspect that's less about being overlooked. And this, again, is very much focused on England. And this is probably more about policy choices that NHS England has made um, in years gone past. Um, So we will use the opportunity for the report to, to say to MPs that Government support is needed for the pharmacy sector. Um, It has to cover um, the COVID costs that people have incurred. It can't just be a 370 million, I think is the current running total. It can't just be a 370 million cash advance. That's actually just putting a liability on people's books. Um, This needs resolving sooner rather than later um, for all the obvious reasons. and there has been, I don't know whether you're aware, but there was one health select community report, but it was very much focusing on core NHS services in secondary care. Um, and of course, that didn't really give us the chance to to pick up on um, how community pharmacy is delivered and um, how we believe the sector was has often been overlooked and we've had to fight quite hard to be recognised um so this 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 select committee inquiry will give us that opportunity i think the harder thing and uh, you know i reflect on this a lot really as a newcomer is is why why is the sector overlooked it's it's you know there does seem to be a mismatch between what parts of the nhs and the officials that work in the nhs think and value and respect the sector and and the public perception for example you you're aware Richard we did a a fairly large public perception survey at end of May early June and something like 90% 89% of people believed pharmacies had played an absolutely vital role during those first few months there was real recognition some something like two-thirds of the population had had to go to their pharmacy during that period, for for one thing or another, and plenty of recognition that later came out in various audits that that pharmacies were providing advice that they might not typically always have provided, um, partly because of what the the change in practice from the GPs. So, so it's not there does seem to be a gap there and. I started when I first arrived thinking you know, well is it because the sector's smaller and you know at the time I didn't realize that pharmacy you know pharmacists are the third largest healthcare sector so it can't can't be the size you know doctors and nurses are not um, overlooked and of course most of those pharmacists today do still work in community settings and and the sector sees a huge number of people every day so it's not far more people actually than those of us who go to see our gp so it can't be size alone that you know is it i think there's probably something in with primary care not secondary care and the focus of the health service on big large organizations with large numbers of employees i can i can see that um and then you think well is it Is it how we're contracted, you know, that we're not NHS employees, we're contractors? And then then you suddenly realise, and again, coming from outside, you're not always aware of this, that GPs are also contractors and they're definitely not overlooked. So, you know, the the challenge, I think, is, um, and I I should say, and it's important to say this, that 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 wasn't the uniform that wasn't completely uniform story throughout COVID. You know, we had some great examples, I think, of healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders. I think particularly of people like Jason Leach in Scotland. Um, Jason's the is National Clinical Director, I think, for, for Scottish Government. Jason was always very clear about the good work that community pharmacy was doing and celebrating that and helping promote that and, um, and referring people in effect on, you know, using his television and his radio opportunities. So there's, there's been some really good examples, but, but generally overall, especially as I say, when the sector was standing up and doing such a phenomenal job, um, and talking to members during that period was very very difficult because people were so busy, so incredibly busy. Um, is the sector the sector does remain I think um, uh, overlooked. On the funding,
0: um, you commissioned the MPA commissioned that did the EI the EY report recently, um, which found that most pharmacies uh, would be loss making within four years. Quite well, very stark findings how badly are your members struggling though financially today as a result of the covid crisis
1: yeah i was talking to some to some members just yesterday actually richard about about that very issue and um i think that i think it it's as bad as many members have ever seen um you know give bearing in mind that there's a little bit of variability um depending on you know where you are in the country the mix of molecules etc it's a little bit of variability on your scale and you know um and and all of that and your ability to buy medicines at different prices depending on on scale etc but but it's pretty bad out there and um you know my my fear has always been that you know it it won't be noticed until it's possibly too late and you know there's no there's no um there's no obvious correlation that pharmacies will fall over in a linear fashion you know with a nice gentle progression you know we it's hard to it's hard to always see at the moment quite how many pharmacies have closed but you know we think it's various your colleagues in the press have estimated various studies of sort of you know maybe 150 maybe 200 pharmacies in 2020 um and clearly you know there's still a market for people buying pharmacies that isn't the quite the same as saying that um they're necessarily buying something that is sustainable and um you know i think um uh, we 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 worry that, that 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 you know you might see th- this might not be a um, a gentle rise in pharmacies closing where you could choose to turn the tap off at the right point. This might actually be something that's um, uh, more exponential than that. Well, yes, you
0: you've said in the past and um,
1: pre-COVID that
0: um, we could be looking at uncontrolled pharmacy closures if the. The funding situations continues as it is. Are we, are we nearing that point
1: now, Mark? Do you think? Well, it, it's always really hard to tell as well, Richard. And you know, it's in you, you know, as a long-standing journalist, you you understand this better than me, that it's much clearer to see the impact on the corporately owned pharmacies because they take very um clear decisions about what's an acceptable level of profitability and what isn't and they make decisions to close the branches and we've seen you know we've seen plenty of that in the last couple of years what what you see in our members much more and this is the same whether it's small pharmacy groups or independent multiples you know you see people just doing doing more they're just working longer and longer hours To keep the show on the road, and that you know that's not sustainable either. It might look like it might look like you're still open at the moment, but what it's doing to everybody's mental health, what it's doing to um, the business, is hidden for a while in the sense that um, you are still continuing. And I think that's his listening to colleagues. That's a historic challenge for the independents. You know when P S N C in England did a big survey on COVID costs during the. Uh, the first three or four months and and repeated that and what you often find there is the independents don't even include all of their costs in there because you know they're often hidden you know it might be a family member doing something that helps out but it doesn't get paid out as a as a wage as a salary etc so um there are particular challenges in in actually working out quite where we are in the independent space um but I don't think if I if I was in N H S England shoes, and was looking to the sector to fill, um, the big clinical gaps that we all see around us, and wanted that more from the sector, I don't think you could be complacent about the current situation. Um, you know, um, it's uh, it's not good. It's not good. And as I say, many you know many members have uh, have said
0: well you know it's never been so bad um you mentioned NHS England there and and putting aside the the critical issue of, of funding for the moment how would you describe the the relationship between NHS England and community pharmacy at the moment and um, some people might have detected a a change of tone uh, from NHS regarding community pharmacy perhaps
1: slightly more positive um, would you go along with that? Yes, I think I think it's probably worth putting it in the context of or maybe just picking up where we've been talking, Richard, about clearly the sector has stood up during Covid, kept the doors open, provided lots of additional advice that on top of the advice that would normally be given. People in our survey were recognising they might routinely have gone to the GP for some of those uh, interventions. So you put that on one side, you also put against that, that we and other pharmacy bodies have been advocating for years what more the sector can do. And I think in many ways, COVID has brought some of that to a head. Um, you know, we, we need to, all we can do is patiently and respectfully and carefully evidence the case for the sector, whether that's the case for the sector to be paid well, or whether it's the case for the sector to expand the range of clinical services. And, you know, we and other bodies have been doing that during the crisis we've probably all had to step up more actually in in truth because of all the challenges we all face to to keep working in that place and and i think you can see i think you can see some positive results richard and i'd like to think that there's some connection between the things we've all been doing to highlight the sector and what it can do what it does do what it could do and you know so for example we we mentioned that public survey we actually played that into the civil servants directly we got the people who who did that to share and and to to illuminate the 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 slides and the the understanding just because actually we were the only people who did any public perception survey of the of what people thought of the sector during the crisis you know we've worked hard to try and um Influence the the secretary of state and his thinking about the sector so that we're at the forefront of his mind more than you know we might have been otherwise and you know getting secretary of state to speak at our conference i think was a great coup but that's that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of working with his team and sharing some of those messages um, i think we're delighted that the all-party pharmacy group got its act together during the first three or four months as well and we've now got a new chair of the group there um uh, jackie doyle price conservative mp for Thuruk. Um, and jackie's already been a, a vocal and active campaigner and and to be honest we've seen mps of all parties in uk government weighing in with um their thoughts their analysis and their questions to government and so so I think that parliamentary side the the ministers the MPs the lords even I think that's stepped up so I think there's I think there's been um, good recognition of the work the sector's doing and recognition of the challenges the sector's faced um, similarly there's been good work with the NHS officials we've all had to meet on endless zooms as you as you would imagine to try and um uh, resolve any challenges as we've gone through it um and and i think that's built you know not many face to face meetings if any but that's built some good relationships and uh, yeah i i i sense coming out of the crisis that nhs england particularly is recognising that um it 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 both could and should um engage the sector in delivering more in the in the clinical space uh, going forward and as you say that's reflected you you can hear that in the tone I think as you say Richard.
0: So it would appear that there's more perhaps of a shared vision between the sector and and NHSE and certainly if you look at the developments within the contractual framework um, so there's a direction of travel but, but what challenges are there that are stopping us along that path
1: yeah I think I think you're probably right there Richard that you know coming out of the pandemic although I know we're not yet but that first wave of it I do think in England we have an NHS which is critically aware of the need to support the clinical development of community pharmacy we've heard various announcements recently they recognize that need there is a you know a paucity of of clinicians across the health service why would you not try to use that skill um i think that's that's really obvious and then um, you know i've heard a few commentators say that you know if they don't do that the nhs is 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 definitely broken um if you know if it wasn't before so i also expect i think when we when you hear of those challenges there's more talk now around prevention you know we've heard the prime minister we've heard the secretary of state for health talking about prevention and i expect there to be opportunity for community pharmacy there too in terms of helping reduce demand for treatment and you know you you you're a pharmacist richard you'd know all the different ways in which the sector could support that the real challenge and the nub of your question richard is whether the nhs here in england can articulate a vision for the sector, and that's not writing a document, you know, that's not a sort of lengthy sort of treatise on what can be done. It's articulating a vision, encouraging people to adopt that vision that the, the majority, hopefully, of the sector could embrace. Can they support that with the right workforce development that will enable those changes to happen? And can they find the right incentives to help the sector meet their growing needs. And inevitably, and this is hard, this is a hard one because we all know how tight money is at Treasury at the moment. And I think NHS hear that as much as the next person. That will inevitably mean ensuring there is sufficient funding for the sector to invest in that future way of working. And and that's going to be the real challenge. Can we, can we bring all of that together in a way which sees the community pharmacy thrive and thrive because it's delivering what um the n h s now wants
0: i mean do you do you meet n h s e officials you know on a regular basis are you, are you getting this from them um in person as it were Yes,
1: I think you know we, you you don't need me to tell you Richard that you know the last five years let's say has been a very challenging time for the relationships between the sector and NHS and DH because of you know the, the, the uh, judicial review amongst other things and the cuts and the letter and all of those things. All that we've done over the last couple of years is, is an honest attempt to rebuild those relationships, recognize it's happened, not pretend you can't pretend these things haven't happened and they didn't happen with good reason, but nevertheless, try to build relationships it's i always talk about tiny tiny steps of trust really you know trust is something that is built very slowly i'd say it's like all our relationships it's built very slowly but it can be destroyed very quickly and you know you you can't build trust and work with people unless you meet with them unless you listen to them you see their side of the story hopefully they see your side of the story and you find a way to understand each other. And I think if you look, you know, when people say to me, well, you know, community pharmacy works so much better in Scotland, in Wales, or maybe Northern Ireland, all of those things at the end of the day come down to relationship and they come down to trust. Sometimes there's obviously, there there can be a, you know, a a political element to it, a a party element, um, but fundamentally, for any of these things to work well, you need good relationships between the key individuals on the, you know, whether that's the chief pharmaceutical officer in each country, whether it's their teams, um, whether it's uh, government officials, uh, NHS managers, etc. You need, and you need, you need on the other side of that table to be able to build good and trusting relationships and that, and that means being trustworthy you know it's you can't just talk about trust you have to demonstrate it and live it and if you know if you're asked to um if you're asked to uh work with um piece of information or you know you you you, you give an advance notice that government's going to announce this or that then you have you know you respect those things and that's that's part of that's part of building um a good relationship between any sector and and, and government, particularly in our sector, as we know, where the government is, you know, it's our, for most of our members, it's it's off the scale in terms of its percent uh, of the percentage of its of the income for most of our members. I think 93, 94% is our best estimate there.
0: We've talked about how difficult the, the COVID crisis has been for your members, but I guess it must've been pretty challenging for the MPA as an
1: organisation. How do you think you've coped? Well, actually, I th- we were just talking about this as a management team last week, Richard. It, it, I think we're quite proud of what we've done, actually. Um, it was, uh, as we've all said many times, we didn't see it coming. <laughs> you know, we hadn't put in place deliberately lots of things that um, we knew would protect us. Fortunately, we had done some of those things, but I would be lying if I said we'd, you know, we we'd become a bit more cloud based. Um, we'd, uh, you know, some of our systems didn't require you to log into the office system. We we definitely done some of those things, but I would be lying if I'd said we'd done them in order to prepare for COVID. Um, we worried initially about our call centers. Could we take the volume of calls? You know, it's four or five hundred calls a day to the professional services helpline. Could we take those with people being at home and the phone system? Well, yes, the answer is, yes, we, we've done that. Our our insurance company has done a piece of work recently where they've worked out that actually they're more effective doing that um, in a home-based fashion than than they were in the office. So, so that's good. Um, the majority of the organisation is currently home based um both the insurance side and the membership side we're putting in place some plans to strengthen that um so that we're more resilient you know we're a bit reliant at the moment on you know one or two communication pipes into the building which 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 isn't uh, which isn't ideal um but no worries. and and of course the other big thing we've had to do Richard which I'm sure CIG will have had to do as well is is make sure we're providing the right support to people who are working from home on their own you know we've got an awful lot of young staff who um might be in a bed sit in london and you know that that isn't necessarily a great place to be doing a a a long working day sat with your laptop and you know not necessarily a good desk or a good chair so we've tried to put a lot of effort into both physically uh, supporting people but also kind of you know the mental health side of that as well and acknowledging that you know, this has been a pretty tough crisis for all of us, really. Um, you know, it's and, and actually, you know, you try to find the good things in a crisis like that. What recognizing those mental health challenges we can all have is probably something that wouldn't have happened without COVID, and uh, so I think you know you try to find the positive things there. So we've, I think. Structurally, the organization's done well. We've we found that the working day has inha- increased hugely, so we have to try and manage that. That you know, we're not uh, the boundaries of working from home. Um, you know, it's, it's much easier to work w- way too long, and of course, that's fine in the short term, but over a longer period, you find you become less productive, less useful. So, we have to make sure we manage ourselves to be um, as good as we can be. Um, so yes, it's been a it's been a journey like many organizations, but we we're, we're very lucky in that sense that not only have we had an important purpose to help highlight the work our members have been doing, but you know financially and we, we, we continue to be healthy. Um, and that's you know you think of all the companies that can't say that at the end you know in October of 2020
0: but what about the financial state of health at the mpa i mean your your last set of results showed your turnover was was down by 8% i think and and you posted a loss for the for the fourth consecutive
1: year um are you in a healthy state financially yes i think so i think we're we we're, we're probably in a stronger state today richard than we've been for for several years you know the the I think it, we've talked many times about you know over a decade or maybe maybe more than a decade the changing nature of um the pharmacy services landscape you know where do people buy insurance from where do they buy training from where do they uh what organizations do they choose to belong to you know the changing nature of ownership and of course in recent times the N the MPA chose to invest as well quite deliberately chose to invest in um in the challenge of the uh the the funding cuts and and the judicial review and and you know took a view that we could use some of members capital to fight those battles and and i think you know that's that's the, the board took um brave decisions took good decisions um i think uh you know we we, we have to separate those kind of things from the ongoing challenge of um of uh, of running a healthy membership body but no i think especially given 2020's challenges um i think we've had a we've had a really good financial year we've chosen again to spend a bit of money on some things that we weren't starting to uh, were didn't have in the budget at the start of the year and, you know particularly around the advocacy and the representation that we've managed to do this year but hopefully those will all have good returns for members and Trading-wise, training-wise, that's going well. We're seeing a, we're seeing a rise in, in training sales and all the various different kind of activities around training. Um, yeah, I think uh, we're in a good place given the, uh, given the year we've all had. Well, that's a very
0: positive way to end the interview. Thanks so much, Mark, for, for speaking so openly to us. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground there. There's still a lot of ground we could have covered. I think I'm going to have to interview again because we haven't talked about having spoke or, or the right review or, or reporting pharmacy to you, uh, to the regulator for, for, for misleading claims. So I think I, maybe have to, I may have to book you in, Mark, for a, another session before too long. But, but thank you very much for, for talking to me today
1: that would be an absolute pleasure richard and um, let's let's get, let's book another date soon thanks very much we'll do that thank you very much mark mark line at MPA there <laughs>